0: names. Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink.
1: Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is?
0: Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. let's gotta work.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling
0: something right.
1: What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds?
2: Cut off one of his fingers. The little one.
0: I'm just <laughs> scared, I, <guess> I fall <laughs> the if they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. You're acting like a first-year thief. I'm acting like a professional. Choice you have been doing in ten years. They can have some stupid money. Ain't no choice at all. Bam! Bam, <laughs> You're under <into> arrest, sugar. <laughs> Harvey
1: Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney
2: and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, Joe. I'm me to shoot this guy? The boys go after the Reservoir Dogs.
1: It's the boys, the dogs, (laughs) (laughs) recon-cinemized. Hit the theme
2: (laughs) And then Conan's got Christian Slater. I think we're on before Conan. (laughs) (laughs) And later,
1: (laughs) Carson Daly's got
2: got Cardi B. Carson
1: Carson Daly's got Eddie Bunker. (laughs) It's always the... Oh, yeah, yeah, the C grade. Yeah, 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 star. yeah. <laughs> Tonight, Jay sits down with Tim Roth. <laughs> right. Jimmy's got Michael Madsen, and Carson's got
2: <laughs> the Mark, cop who the gets cop his guy. <laughs> Come <on>. He's got. <laughs> he's got Kirk Balls. <laughs> Kirk Baltz. Baltz. Baltz.
1: Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Reconsinimation, your podcast that takes a look back at our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He's David Munchak. And I'm John Tyner.
2: We got it. There okay. we go. <laughs> now Did we I, know. Now that we know who we are. Yeah, yeah. Did I sound like you there? You sounded exactly like me. I knew it. Yeah. It's hard to tell us apart <laughs> on the, on the We look
1: the same. Exactly. We sound same. exactly the same. Yep. Mm-hmm. We think the same. We love the same thing. We're one two headed person.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's really uh, what just what a way to live. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm just with myself when I'm with you. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's just like half of me when I'm by myself. Yeah.
1: Well, we are in the fall. We're almost in the fall season. We're September. Mm. Uh, the uh, beginning of September, I always in my head feel like that's fall. It's not technically, yeah, but you know, it's back to school. Back to school, you school time.
2: Yeah. Labor Day. Coming,
1: yeah. Like Labor Day, Labor Day is, is past; yes. it's already happened by mm-hmm. this point.
2: Yeah, but yeah, you say it's the fall because it's not really summer.
1: Yeah, summer's hot, hot.
2: It's <laughs> so hot. Oh my god!
1: September is like the hottest month in LA. It's brutal. Yeah, so we're
2: we're surviving. I've got one of those fans that spritz you every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I just walk around,
1: but yours goes all the time, twenty four seven. Just a it's, constant spritz.
2: It's hooked up to a hose. <laughs> That runs into your office yeah. at Reconsidere Studios, twenty four seven. Yeah, I don't hook it up to like a bottle. I just have a high pressure hose, mm-hmm. and, and then it spritzes me every ten minutes. Yeah,
1: it makes it hard when we record shows. Yeah, that but... you've got a blast of water in your face at all times. But yeah, we're uh, we're in separate glass compartments yeah well
2: you do a good job uh editing it out when it happens yeah
1: there's a there's an audio engineer that i have that uh specialty is editing out water sounds
2: yeah <laughs> i need a water sound guy <laughs> the guy that removes them not adds them <laughs> well, i'll tell you that i'm excited for today
1: it's an exciting day yeah we are uh we're dialing way back mm. crank, crank
2: it crank to
1: 1992
2: that's twenty-seven
1: years ago. Twenty. Oh my god! Don't, even, don't say that out loud. That's so far, we don't away. acknowledge that. Youser, it's like five years ago.
2: It feels like it.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking so much about Quentin Tarantino since we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a few weeks back.
2: Oh, you are obsessed. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. How's that feel?
1: Uh, it's it's a familiar feeling. Yeah, it's uh, not the first time,
2: but after a couple of years of disappointments in between, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Must, must be good to feel. Something again?
1: (laughs) Tarantino's a a director that I always want to love his movies.
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so many of the recent ones I haven't. And it's been a while. Uh, I mean, there's some exceptions in there. But for the most part, I haven't felt this way about one of his movies in so long. Wow. Yeah. Uh, But I've seen it twice. I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood twice. Whoa. And liked it more the second time. Sure. Uh, It's one of those, I think... The more you see it, the more you're gonna like it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a Jackie Brown fan, mm. then I think this one is up your alley. This
2: is this one stays along that path. Yeah, definitely. Mm.
1: It's not as uh, without giving anything away for those that haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. It's not as explosive as you know your Kill Bills and your Django's and even Inglorious Bastards or mm-hmm. Hateful Eight. Yeah, it's much more of a slow burn. It's a character piece. Mm-hmm. It's really just. I don't want to say a slice of life because it's not that, but no, yeah, it's you're just staying with these characters and kind of on a
2: little ride with them. Yeah. he He's celebrating Hollywood in the 60s, celebrating the lives back then. People like Sharon Tate show up. Uh, and there's just the, the vibe in LA of being a working actor in TV that uh, he is just... Uh, he's enamored by and wanted to sort of showcase. Mm-hmm. No one talks about the TV shows of that era. I mean, those were not... It was a dying art. In yeah, fact. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, nobody. Well, not nobody, but I think there. I think the older shows do have an audience on some of your sure kind of second run channels on TV. Yeah, like this TV and mm-hmm. and uh, Me TV. Me TV. Yeah, the classics. So I yeah. think there is a small audience there. Yeah, but for the most part, no. These are and there were so many of these those Western shows and yeah. you know police shows. I mean, there are now, but there were so many back then that I I couldn't even name most of them. Right, right. And this just acknowledges that time period and uh, great performances. Good
2: performances.
1: So it got us thinking we should take a look back at Quentin's first film, Mm. Reservoir Dogs. The first major release, The first major release, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, he had done a a smaller film called My Best Friend's Wedding, Mm. not the Julia Mm -hmm. Roberts one. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, but that, I think you can see it on YouTube, but oh. it never
2: was released. Let me fire that up. Yeah. Yeah. You want to take um, a break? Yeah. Should we? Let's just shut down for an Let's hour sh- or two. Oh, okay. Okay. We re- we'll be right back. Well, that was good. That was, that was an it's interesting film. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I could see how Reservoir Dogs would come, come about five years later, I think. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so because we're going to talk Reservoir Dogs now Yeah The big one When was the first time
1: When did you first experience Tarantino? Uh, do you remember?
2: Experience it? Yeah uh, Him I mean
1: when did, when did when did you first hear about him? When do you, Which was the first film that you saw? And when did you see Reservoir Dogs? Because I can almost bet that that's not the first one you saw
2: Oh uh, No it is It is the first one I saw but I saw it. People talked about... People lost their minds over Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. I remember. And I I wasn't really interested in it. The style of it looked a little weird. And I didn't understand why... But I didn't see the movie either. So I was just... You know, I don't know what everybody's talking about. Um, and then I think I saw Reservoir Dogs. It was late in high school or at some point in college. I mm-hmm. honestly don't remember. Because uh, in high school... I remember, I think it was like 96, 97... My friends wanted to, uh, us to come over to uh, like my one friend's house. He wanted to like, oh, let's sit down, let's watch a movie. And uh, it turns out it was U- *Usual Suspects*, which everyone was losing their mind over about mm. well, that too. How cool that movie is! And um, I fell asleep about forty-five minutes into it. <laughs> I mean, I was laying on the floor. We we're all just like in a living room chilling, and then I don't, I didn't really remember it. I, didn't, I don't think I even saw the ending. And then for years, I think I just, I wasn't sure, like. Did I see reservoir dogs or did I see usual suspects? Easily confused. Yeah, when you're, if you didn't like pay when attention, you, <laughs> yeah. they when sound like asleep, they're half it's the it. same ass title, basically. You know, it's just like, and it's sort of that they, they're they kind of the same in a sense. Or, there are similarities. From a, from yeah. a very like, uh, you know, superficial mm-hmm. way, you wouldn't know. What's the cool crime drama with great actors mm-hmm. that, you know, that that's turning heads? Yeah. Pulling <laughs> so, a caper. And then I saw, but I think it was Reservoir Dogs was the first one I'd seen, and um, so you I, saw that bef- before you saw Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so yeah. you saw Pulp Fiction really late, Le- real late, like five years ago.
1: No way, that late? Yeah, it was finally time. This is incredible to me. Yeah, no, no, no you no. made it all the way through without someone making you watch it.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> don't make me do anything I if don't it, want to do. It. <laughs>
1: I do all the time. Though. <laughs> well, that's part of the David, podcast. You gotta, wa-
2: you gotta watch this. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, had seen you Kill gotta Bill. watch Die Hard too. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I saw Kill Bill before I saw Pulp Fiction. Wow, I saw Kill Bill two before Pulp Fiction. It amazes I me. I saw that Glorious Bastards before.
1: What interests me is that you you didn't want to see Pulp Fiction before you saw Kill Bill.
2: Uh well that that trailer of Kill Bill was mesmerizing that first time it was awesome so stylistic and mm-hmm. just like it was a fantastic that, trailer like that was mind blowing and uh you know that's more up my alley like I like highly stylized action and mm-hmm. stuff like that not really high highly stylized like whatever pulp fiction is mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like I don't well
1: it's just it's just overflowing with style
0: yeah
2: the, itself
1: like, yeah, yeah everything
2: yeah. is style in it yeah so um you know i i don't have necessarily a a strong affinity for tarantino i i like them i the only one i haven't seen now is jackie brown and that's gonna change soon (laughs) exactly so i need to borrow that next weekend
1: (laughs) we're gonna be screening in the rican Cinema theater Mm. the rican cinema i call it both names the rican cinema yeah the the rican cinema Mm -hmm. it's our big it's a it's you can seat 4,000 people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have our seats, our particular seats that we always sit in. Yeah. Usually it's just us in there. But.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Well, it's like a dome. It's an arena. Yeah. Uh, it is.
1: And it's an arena. And, and I just like to know that we could put a lot of people in there. Yeah. We choose not to. We could
2: generate a lot of revenue mm-hmm. if we just opened up that theater. Rather sure. have a private screening. Yeah. It got of feels like you're part of the movie-going experience. Mm-hmm. The ultimate. But uh, that will
1: that will change soon because sure. I'm i'm really interested to see what you will think about jackie brown i bet i'll like it i I think you're gonna really like it. the way
2: people like it the Mm -hmm. way people who do like it you know i'm sure it's a little more up my alley so i'm sure i have annoyed like half of your friends about yeah i didn't see pulp fiction i didn't care to (laughs) i'm sure i'm kind of annoying you with that statement um but it's you know that's just how it fell i'm gonna feel a lot better when i
1: slap you after this show is done <laughs> i can see you boiling and then you're angry i'm just gonna feel a lot better and then we can move on yeah um so what about you i like most people i didn't see reservoir dogs until after pulp fiction mm-hmm. so I, I i do remember in 1993 that was a time period where i was not into movies i was into sports and like going out and I was playing baseball and soccer, and just I was just doing a lot of things and not really watching movies. Mm -hmm. And my parents were, at that point, very into watching movies. Uh And so they were renting movies all the time. And I remember them bringing home the laser disc of Reservoir Dogs Wow! and my dad trying to convince me to watch it. Uh And I saw the cover, and I was like, that looks like some kind of... Uber violent Like thing I don't yeah. I don't like I don't know what that name means I don't recognize Any of these people No I'm out Wow So, so I, I, was, I, And I was adamant about it I yeah. was like No I'm not watching that movie Yeah you judged Go it get me it. Jurassic Park Yeah 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 Or Ace Ventura <laughs>
0: Yeah
2: You judged it by its cover it I did looks a li- And that's fine That's You can't watch every movie Right So you gotta start making choices
1: So fast forward About a year Year and a half Something like that And uh, Pulp Fiction is out. I also missed that in the theater. Oh, My, I opted to see Forrest Gump over Pulp
2: Fiction. Good choice. At a, Best the picture moment. Best picture.
1: Yeah, I guess
2: um, <laughs> it's probably. I don't know if that holds up. We're gonna have to. Forrest Gump. Yeah. No, it does not. It does not.
1: I <laughs> I've rejected that movie a few years back. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> um, so I I actually caught up with Pulp once it. Here's the thing. Okay, I caught up with Pulp when it hit home video. Okay.
2: That's that's fair.
1: Yeah. Simultaneously, a friend of mine played me the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack, mm. which I fell in love with. Okay. So as soon as I heard that and I saw Pulp, I saw, Reserv- I saw Reservoir Dogs like the next week. Oh, okay. Like, right away, was, I rented it. And I got to get there. So I kind of fell in love with him with both movies at the same time. Mm. At the time, I felt like Reservoir Dogs was the more watchable movie. Mm-hmm. It's a little faster paced. It's a little, it's a smaller movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more, it's more like a play.
2: Yeah, agreed. In that
1: a lot of it is in one location, just a few actors. It's them coming in and out of the space like like you would in a play. Uh, And I just, you know, I I could watch that one again and again. I could also watch Pulp, but there was a little more of a commitment.
2: Sure. It's a longer movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of uh, amazing set pieces kind yeah of there, and a right? little
1: more emotional and mental commitment yeah
2: but a lot of performances a lot of a lot of people show up in that one yeah i, I could see how it really uh, caught fire for people yeah it's
1: kind of an epic movie and yeah. and we'll save a lot of the pulp discussion for whenever we do that movie but mm-hmm. and ever since it's been a rocky road With me and Mr. Tarantino I feel like we've had a tumultuous love affair Wow That has gone up and down And we're seeing each other Then we're not for years And we're angry at each other And then we come back And then we love each other again Got it, yeah Um, I was I didn't see Jackie Brown right when it came out Mm -hmm. But the reaction was Not as good as Pulp Fiction Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Was that, you know, people were expecting Pulp Fiction And Jackie Brown's a little different Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't rush to see that one. I finally saw it right before Kill Bill came out. And then he took like six years off making movies and he took his time making Kill Bill.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, so when that came in theaters, I finally saw Jackie Brown and then I was in uh, love with that movie. Oh, that's cool. Then I wasn't into the Kill Bill movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was into Inglorious. Right. Didn't like Django. Wow. Didn't like Hateful Eight. I mean, there's things about them that I like.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but basic, essentially,
2: it was... Not a fan of those movies. So Tarantino is basically two and a half for nine for you. Three and a half no. for nine. I bet maybe as, as you're going. Well,
1: now I, I rank that. Like, there's five five of them I like.
2: Five you like, yeah. Yeah. That's not too bad.
1: Yeah, and I still haven't seen Death Proof all the way through. You know, I've seen a lot of clips and scenes. I
2: haven't seen that either
1: at all. Kurt texted me that he was not going to speak to me again
2: until I saw it.
1: So That's fair. I'll have to see it soon. All right,
2: yeah. We, we want to open that door again good old kurt yeah kurt kurt not in this movie we're just gonna go right to the corner here kurt not in this movie if he had the hair you know he'd be blowing it away probably best hair tim roth i don't know harvey keitel probably best hair i'm gonna go michael madsen chris penn good hair that that shaggy sideburns yeah uh so good hair um and if he was in it he probably would be he'd be mr white Yeah, I think yeah he'd be Mr. White. He's
1: a little bit older. He would have that you know older brother thing. Yeah, father figure. Yeah, slash lover thing with uh, Mr. Orange. Right, right, right.
2: Yeah, Uh, yeah. He's a yeah. That's Kurt. That's and and then I could
1: see a younger younger Kurt being uh, Mr. Blonde. I could see that. Like an early eighties Kurt, like an Escape from New York Kurt, Mm -hmm. could be Mr. Blonde, Mm -hmm. and then Kurt now could be, be joe, joe. Yeah, absolutely yeah
2: he'd be running things yeah so how about that but uh, that was a quick kurt's corner yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh he shows up in other tarantino films yeah it's funny how he ends up being a tarantino guy
2: yeah
1: how about that he tarantino loves great He's actors He's been in what three now death proof mm-hmm. hateful eight and uh once upon a time in hollywood how about that yeah three for ten see quentin knows,
2: quentin knows i talent. didn't have to tell him how good kurt was he knew himself he, he wasn't handed a headshot from the casting. And it was like, who is this? Well, we'll give him a try. Well, Tar- Have himself taped. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: Tarantino, uh, he's admitted, you know, a lot of his people get on his case that he's a, a thief and that he steals ideas and he steals scenes and steals characters and mm-hmm. steals dialogue. There are many directors that do that. Sure, but I do agree with him that it's not so much stealing because it's so different when he puts his stamp on it mm-hmm. um, that he mixes it with other with with the Tarantino style. So I mean, he's Reservoir Dogs was clear, not clearly he's admitted that it's based on his version of Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, which is a, a robbery set in real time, uh, made in 1955, uh-huh. I believe it was 55. Okay, starring Sterling Hayden. Amazing film, mm-hmm. uh, very similar in tone to this one, but when you take Quentin's distinct style, yeah. it becomes something totally different.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can, I see that. It's the, there's always some something so I don't know, loaded about every shot and and the way everything is lit and who you're watching on screen. They don't feel like regular movies at all.
1: No, there's not, and there's not a lot of directors now who have that. You can you can turn it on for thirty seconds and know exactly who made this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's not like the old days where there was a lot of directors who had that visual style. Mm-hmm. Uh he's one of the few who have that now.
2: Yeah. Well you know, well great. We, he's one of the last great talents. Mm-hmm. Producing hit after hit.
1: And there were many an imitator after, uh, after, especially after Pulp came out. Yeah, but.
2: so like Guy Ritchie movies. Ooh. How many of those did you see in in response? Like I've, he's doing it. I got it. Guy see. Ritchie. Was, yeah. Did you see them all?
1: I I don't. I have not seen all of them. But <laughs> did you love them? You I really go. like Snatch. Sure. I like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I think that's really it. Yeah. Because not... then he made like shit movies for a while and then only recently it has kind of turned a corner again.
0: Yeah,
2: he's back.
1: But those were completely out of Tarantino's world. Yeah. So many. We talked a little bit on our about it on our Gross Point Blank episode about the pulp fiction craze and the ensuing aftermath of everybody making cool gangster movies. Right, right, right. You know, and, and a lot of these anti-hero or kind of cool bad guys that, you know, were just kind of taking over and there was if you look at video stores in the late 90s you saw tons of reservoir dog like movies and pulp fiction like movies and people trying to do the non-linear storytelling yeah, yeah. and and it was and with cool dialogue that re, you know referencing like 80s and 70s stuff and yeah. you know it was a lot of imitators yeah
2: it's um well it's it's funny because as All of his stuff, if you can say, you know, he's stealing or whatever, but it's, it really is homage and Mm -hmm. taking it all for himself. I mean, it's, I think that's cool. I think that's like he can show that he loves these other films. It's not like he's just looking for that perfect shot, but he saw this movie once and then 20 years later he puts it in his own, you know, he puts a shot in his own movie. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I don't, there's nothing wrong with paying homage to, you know films that you loved or directors that you loved or actors that you loved i mean yeah. he's been so successful with it
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know especially with with casting every movie he's kind of feels like he's bringing somebody out of mothballs <laughs> yeah and you know giving them another another chance
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean where would Tra- john travolta be without pulp fiction
2: yeah that's a tough one i don't know if he'd have a big 90s career absolutely not yeah. his
1: career was basically over he was doing the look who's talking movies which are fine which are fine family friendly family friendly he could have
2: sort of stayed in that arena like the whole for the sure. rest of his career sure. probably so. he
1: would be doing
2: um he would be doing beethoven yeah he'd be doing beethoven's fourth sure and fifth uh, and if there was a sixth that one too mm-hmm. yeah but then he got to be the coolest guy in the room yeah well-dressed uh, easily Im- or so he thought yeah <laughs> and still thinks yeah but uh you know why not ride that high for as yeah. long as you can he still thinks he's pretty cool he does he Travolta still
1: rides the pulp fiction wave yeah you know Which for all of his you know 2000s movies his action movies he'll throw out dialogue that's very pulp fiction like
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: you know or do something like that's supposed to be cool and Oh, he's he's not bad. We like him, <laughs> right? Right. But no, it's yeah. I'm i I'm not a big Travolta fan, other mm-hmm. than some of his, you know, a handful of his movies. Sure. And I I wish he had, at some point, tried something different again. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I will say that he's really great in is the uh, the Ryan Murphy O.J. Simpson miniseries. Oh yeah. Where he's um oh my god what's what his, his play name Bob
2: Rob Rob Shapiro Bob yeah Shapiro. Bob Shapiro yeah. Fantastic. He's fantastic. Yeah, great, great work on that.
1: Because he's not over the top, and he's not like a crazy gun-toting, you know, villain. Like he's playing a real character. Yeah, he's a
2: nuanced character. He's got a lot going on there, and it's interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. It's great. I mean, not a character, but character. Yeah. You know. Uh, Yeah, that was that was wonderful. Um, Isn't he? He's still doing TV, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't he doing something else right now? I don't know. Who Ryan Murphy?
1: Travolta. Or Travolta's Travolta's
2: like always he, working. He's always working. It's true. He's
1: suddenly bald too. Yeah, I don't I know when he, that happened.
2: I think he's been hold, He was holding on for a very long time with that. I don't know if it's a hairpiece or he was just aggressively dying it black. I think. He, I think that's what. It, I feel like of, he had the hair. But yeah, it was probably maybe some plugs. Whatever. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, I think I saw something where he's he's got a beard. He's, he's got a beard. And he's he's bald. got salt and pepper hair. Doesn't he have some hair? He's like bald, no, but... he's totally bald. Oh, totally bald. Okay, yeah. Never mind. Wow.
1: Well, cool. But that's Travolta. Do the Bruce Willis. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> anyway.
1: Um, so... Pulp Fiction. Let's talk a little bit about <laughs> <laughs> Reservoir Dogs and how it how it got started, and then we'll kind of get back to what its legacy is afterwards.
2: Please. Inf- I don't know anything about this.
1: So Quentin Tarantino was uh, working in a video store called Video Archives in Manhattan Beach. And was writing and, and, you know, trying to raise enough money to do... I think he was trying to raise like $30,000 to shoot this on 16mm. Wow. With his friend Lawrence Bender, who was... They were in acting classes together. Uh-huh. He writes the script. Uh, he takes it to... He was in... You know who his acting teacher is? Hopefully. Or was? James Best. James Best from Dukes of Hazard. Oh, yeah, Sheriff James Roscoe P. Coltrane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was a great actor too. That absolutely. that um, is another kind of kind of forgotten performer. Huh. I think if he had been, had he lived, he would have. Pro- I'm sure he would have shown up in a Tarantino movie. Sure.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Uh, so he's you know he shows it to James Best. Lawrence Bender shows it to his acting teacher, whose wife was friends with Harvey Keitel. Hmm. Gave the script to Harvey. Harvey really liked it, saw some potential there, and got in touch with Quentin and Lawrence Bender and opted to put his name on as, as a producer uh-huh. in order to help them
2: get the funds. Yeah, get the funds. Fundraise. So,
1: so they end up raising about a million and a half as a budget, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, he's got to be head head over heels about.
2: Yeah, he That's, wanted he wanted to shoot it for thirty. Yeah, <laughs> and he's getting <laughs> you know fifty. Times and he's up. got
1: Harvey Keitel suddenly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Harvey, at this point, was kind of at an interesting point of his career that his leading man status was, had kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. He was doing a lot of supporting roles. Uh, he was in Last Temptation of Christ. He was in The Two Jakes, which is the Chinatown sequel. Mm-hmm. But he's not the top-billed performer. He's not even like near the top right there. Right. Um, so he's looking for... Anything different. He's starting to do more independent films, uh, which he would all the way through the 90s. Uh, but this was a great opportunity for him. He helped them set up casting sessions in New York where they found Whoa. Steve Buscemi and Michael Madsen and wow. Chris Penn and <laughs> wow. kind of lined almost everybody up there.
2: Really? Out
1: of New York? Mm-hmm. Wow. And all of those guys are right at the beginning of their careers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Busemi did a, did a great film called Parting Glances, was where he, I think his first movie. Mm-hmm. And then he shows up in some smaller parts in Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing. Uh, he's, I think at the time, was considered one of the Coen brothers' guys.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, Michael Madsen actually worked with Harvey Keitel in a small role in Thelma and Louise. Oh, right. And Chris Penn... Yeah. Our longtime friend. Well you love him. We've talked this is the third time, third Chris Penn movie we're yeah. talking about this year. <laughs>
2: right. Chris Penn, number we're one. We're
1: maxing out on Chris Penn.
2: Yeah, we're running through it. We're gonna have to do rush hours soon.
1: He's in there. Yeah. Or Mulholland <laughs> Falls sure. or True Romance. What? Stay in the Tarantino world. Come
2: on, let's do that. Um so, so yeah. we did what, Footloose and at Close Range. At close range. And now the Reservoir Dog. Yeah. He's one of the Reservoir Dogs, would you say? (laughs) He's he's a dog. Is is he the leader of the dog? Is he a intermediary? Is he? He's like let's not define him. He's He's... like
1: a second in command. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's not the boss. Yeah, but he's he's issuing orders. He's nice guy Eddie. Nice guy
1: Eddie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So you know, the cast comes together. They they come out to L.A. in the summer of nineteen ninety one. Shoot the film all over. An area called Highland Park oh. which is a fantastic area.
2: You're familiar with it.
1: I'm very familiar with it. Very I cool. know it well. Mm. The location where they shot the warehouse is it was a, an actual morgue.
2: Okay. Wow.
1: And they actually used the second story of it for Mr. Orange's apartment. Oh really? So that's actually the same building. Oh funny. Oh. <laughs> Unfortunately it's been demolished um. and is now a parking lot off of uh, Figueroa Boulevard and that's I, th- I want to say it's Avenue Fifty Six. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. which is I know that area. You know that area, and so do I.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: uh, but it's funny because if they, I wonder if the owner of that building knew how big this movie was going to be, or Quentin's movies in general. Right. That would have been a you know a tourist stop. I'm sure.
2: Oh, sure. You can ma- maximize that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess there's money in parking spaces, though. There, yeah, there's a lot of money there. <laughs> yeah, and banana stands. <laughs> Always money in the banana stand. <laughs> Um so the the content basically you know a good experience for everybody one of the tough parts
1: of it was uh Lawrence Tierney who mm-hmm. plays uh Joe Cabot mm-hmm. who's the you know the one who brings everybody together to do this heist yeah He's uh Lawrence Tierney was an old time actor I think most notably leading up to this he was in the first um time travel episode of next star trek the next generation
2: oh okay yeah where
1: they go back to the 30s uh-huh and he played elaine Bennis' dad in seinfeld oh
2: that's it, it, oh
0: okay so
1: that's kind of like right up leading up to this he's doing more tv shots and um he had a really hard time with quentin's dialogue oh yeah really hard time
2: it's a it's a it's a mouthful
1: yeah it's and, a mouthful and and i remember hearing about on seinfeld too that he had a hard he just he, he struggled to memorize lines oh sure and they weren't writing cue cards or anything for him uh... and uh, so you can see outtakes of it where he's just like kind of and he's getting really pissed off as he's unable to do the dialogue especially in this scene where they're in the warehouse laying out what's going to happen during the robbery and who's doing what and picking what names everyone's getting?
2: Yeah, he sort of plans everything out, and yeah, it's uh, he he commands that scene. Yeah, that's his biggest scene, probably.
1: But he ended up almost getting in a fist fight with Tarantino during that. Really? He just couldn't do it, and he was kind of taking shots at Quentin, like like what is this dialogue? This is shit. Oh, how am I supposed to say it? Like, how does anybody read this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he just it went on and on, and Quentin went like got, got up in his face and they kind of went at each other and michael madsen jumped up and grabbed lawrence tierney and harvey jumped up and grabbed (laughs) quentin and everyone left the set Uh apparently the crew applauded (laughs) because they were also fed up with Uh, lawrence just not knowing the lines yes they went off set and eventually cooler heads prevailed they came back together and made it through they finished it but there wasn't that happened a number of times not the fighting part, but the yeah. struggling with the dialogue. Got it. Yeah,
2: you know he was in an episode of Silk Stockings in 1993. Oh, so I, you probably have seen it. He played Scotty O'Donnell. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a great, great episode. You remember that episode? Yeah, of Silk Stockings. I loved Silk Stockings. <laughs> great <laughs> I, theme song. I, I only know the theme through the commercials on USA. I if I ever yeah.
1: like, if I ever saw a police precinct that was that colorful. <laughs> My God, yeah. that's that's an amazing place and sexy and sexy with
2: sexy people. Yeah, good looking cops.
1: <laughs> Imagine if Quentin directed an episode of oh my Silk God.
2: Stockings. Holy crap!
1: Uh, so the film is shot, and you know it, they cut it together. It gets into the Sundance Film Festival, which was in January of '92. Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, Sundance was just on the rise. Um, it really got it got started in the '80s, but Sex Lies and Videotape is the movie that really oh, yeah. boosted that mm-hmm. about three years prior. But this is what started sort of the bidding war process. Um, Miramax was there and snatched this movie up, and mm-hmm. and it was there was a huge influx of filmmakers that year of independent filmmakers that were just partially because of Sex Lies and Videotape kind of opened the door for people to just start making movies and if they can make it for a hundred thousand great that didn't have to be a big studio movie mm-hmm. and revive that independent film mentality mm-hmm. um, of that class of 92 quentin's really the only one still going oh, really? who ever made it like huge
2: who else came out that year robert or?
1: rodriguez and i may oh. be mixing it rodriguez might have been 93 okay uh, but he had El Mariachi, yeah, yeah. and I would say he's the second like major name coming out of there. Very cool. But all the other filmmakers who you know, it seemed like they were going to have big careers. Alexander Rockwell, Allison Anders, mm. uh, just didn't, just didn't take. And some of them didn't want it to take. Mm. Some of them wanted to just keep making small films that you know meant meant something rather than get involved with the studio system and have to fight for every. Yep. You know every creative choice, and it's it's not for everybody. Sure,
2: yeah. I mean, it, at, at the end of the day, it's every, everyone's an artist first, for the most part. Like I don't I don't know too many successful directors that do it to, just to be commercial, like a commercial hit, right? You know, they start. Yeah, I yeah, think there, there right? are. I mean, I think it, once you realize what you can do. I mean, like Michael Bay. Yeah, like he he ain't in it for the art. True. <laughs> now, but. Well, you're right
1: Maybe he didn't start that way
2: Yeah I, thought, yeah, I don't think I mean, he,
1: I don't think Many of them start that way Yeah But it becomes a
2: part of the system That yeah. you're in Yeah I'm like, oh, look what, I, what I'm what capable of Look what I can do Give me that money <laughs> Where's all the money? You hand in the film to the, Give me my money Money, please Money, please uh, So Tarantino was, was the big talk of Sundance Yeah in Yeah And funny, he didn't actually
1: win any awards there Oh really? Yeah, uh, Reservoir Dogs won nothing, but it walked away with the biggest deal, and he was the talk of the of the town, huh? Talk of the town. He must have loved that.
2: I'm sure he did. He likes attention. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) nothing wrong with that. People like it. You have to have a healthy ego to be a a filmmaker. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So uh...
1: the it's funny because during a screening at Sundance. Rick Baker, who's one of the top special effects people in the business of of all time, yeah, and Wes Craven both walked out of a screening of Reservoir Dogs during the ear cutting. No way. They both both walked
2: out and couldn't take it. It's it's pretty it's pretty vicious.
1: Well, y- yes and no. What? <laughs> but it's it, it that kind of drives me a little bit nuts about Wes Craven because he did some of the most grotesque movies. In the early 70s with The Hills Have Eyes Mm -hmm. and Last House on the Left. Right. Like, those have violent rape and murders and people being torn apart right in front of you. And I can't even watch those movies at all. Yeah. The interesting thing about the... Let's talk about the ear cutting. Okay. The torture scene.
2: Yes, I hated this scene.
1: You actually don't see that much, though. You think you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie is known for its violence, but a lot of it is off frame, you know, off camera, out of frame. Mm -hmm. You know, right when he's torturing him, all the most violent moments you don't actually see. You see the aftermath of it. Mm -hmm. uh, But you like when he slashes him, you don't see the cuts. Mm -hmm. When he cuts the ear off, it pans over and you're looking at the warehouse. And then it comes back and you know what's happened. You hear it off, off screen yeah
2: and then he shows you the ear basically and you
1: see the you do see the ear
2: yeah and then you do see
1: the sign of his face later uh, right but uh, but it's all the actual moments of it are left to your imagination yeah
2: well I don't think it's the actual action I think it's the uh, the tension and the buildup he's gonna torture this guy it's it's played against that song which stuck song? in the middle with you yeah yeah and he's dancing around he's a total psychopath it's like really it feels real like it feels like there's you can, this doesn't have to happen, <laughs>
0: like
2: at all. And well, that not and not, in the, not in the context of the movie, but just like a, a guy torturing a guy, mm-hmm. like and he and he says it explicitly, like I don't care, I'm I'm going to torture you anyway. Yeah, like, he's, holy crap, uh, it's uncomfortable. It's it's not. It's I don't know. I could see. It's it's odd that some of the biggest you know gore people walked out but maybe because it's too real I don't know
1: well I think that's part of it is the the psychological side leading up to it yeah that the knowledge of he's he's telling him he's gonna torture him and it's right there and there's nothing he can do about it yeah yeah. which is also why that song is so fitting I mean the 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 music juxtaposes with the action so I mean it's all intentional yeah Mm -hmm. Tarantino often picks out his soundtracks or his basic soundtrack first mm-hmm. and writes to those moments. Huh. So this has, you know, a number of them that are fitting with what's going on. Would you say he's
2: effective with that technique? Oh my God. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then, so like when someone like saying Edgar Wright does it for baby driver, mm-hmm. would you say that was effective in communicating? Are you trying to get me to like baby driver again? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of liked it. You said it on the previous episode.
1: Like you yeah. kind of liked it. Yeah, you did not want, of, you yeah. don't want
2: to get, you know, we talked about some of the things we didn't like. Yeah uh but i mean it's pretty great set to music <laughs> yeah. uh anyway no um yeah that scene made me watching it i watched it a couple of times for our, our show today mm-hmm. and both times i was just like not shivering but i just felt it like i'm like i don't want to watch this part even though it's nothing It's not like you said it's nothing too bad but it is that that psychological thing mm-hmm. really worked it's effective plus michael madsen you, i could believe him in real life as a psychopath yeah i don't know but he's either a really good actor or he is kind of crazy if he's walking down the street right at you what you what do you do i'm out i'm crossing the street yeah or do you just i'm ducking run? i'm ducking back in the ben and jerry's that i'm coming out of getting my chunky monkey <laughs> and i order another chunky monkey yeah and hide do
1: you hide in the I back I like hide warm? in the bathroom i yeah.
2: eat the first chunky monkey by the time he's gone I pick up the the, thir- the second Chunky Monkey and I mm-hmm. go on my way. Which is technically your third of the day. Always. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have three. I have three Chunky Monkeys a day <laughs> per my doctor, Dr. Ice Cream. <laughs> Dr. Dessert says three Chunky Monkeys or more per day. Oh, my God. Anyway, Michael. <laughs> so, yeah, Michael Matson is a scary guy. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, Tarantino is known... For violence in film, and a yeah. lot of people point to him for the influx of violence, especially throughout the '90s. That uh, mm-hmm. it really started with with Reservoir Dogs and, and with Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there wasn't violence before that, but really brutal, gory, and real. Mm-hmm. He's almost like a '70s director—gritty, yeah. Gritty, real,
2: real. Well, like in '92, you know, Doctor Giggles also came out. That was mm-hmm. kind of horrifying, and I think people knew. Very. Like, we love this. Let's keep making more like this.
1: Doctor Giggles and Reservoir Dogs are like cousins. <laughs> yeah,
2: they they share so many things. <laughs> it's basically Doctor Giggles belongs in the Tarantino
0: universe.
1: And there's a connection. We'll talk about <laughs> well, it off well, off air. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but part it part of what makes Tarantino's films so engaging is the realism mm-hmm. that. He always makes these characters right from the beginning of Reservoir Dogs. He makes these characters like real people talking about real things that you and your friends would talk about. Right? They're talking about Madonna.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, they're talking about popular music. Mm-hmm. And and what it was?
1: They talk about movies. They talk about shows. Yes.
2: Yeah. The Seventy the seventies radio station mm-hmm. the things they like. Uh, yeah, that's right. They talk about actresses. Uh, so he loves talking. Like Tarantino loves talking about media. So mm-hmm. it's going to be all of his characters are going to be infused with at least some knowledge or opinion about things. It's kind of like knowing after seeing all these other Tarantino movies and then watching this like, ah, OK, yeah, of course, this is <laughs> well, it's a filmmaker talking about films and inserting himself in the film. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, like especially back then either. So um, well, because you didn't see that then. Yeah. 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 He started he started it
1: in a way. He started this whole nostalgia wave that we're sitting
2: in right now at least yeah for mainstream yeah film for sure like you know there was always nostalgia in sort of advertising marketing that sort of thing always you know music and images from when you were growing up you're going to use that to sell you know whatever products that you would have because you own a home now and you have a job and a, ca- a car mm-hmm. you know we saw that in mad men you know yeah. uh, <laughs> the emotional feeling um, but this was like using films to like, you know, and, and obviously films have been stealing and referencing from each other for since the beginning. But yeah. This was a real attempt to, I don't know, make it something so different mm-hmm. that whether you recognize it or not, if you're because any so many non-cinephiles love Tarantino too, mm-hmm. like enjoy him. I'm not really a cinephile. I don't know what the things he's referencing here are. are. Until I'm told, I'm like, oh, that's really cool.
1: <laughs> well, even then, people didn't. He made it cool to like reference film, you know, old films and old music, and yeah. and he would pull stuff out that, you know, in 1992, where was P- Pam Greer? Right, she was completely off the, totally off the map.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and then just bringing her name up and some of the movies she did when they're talking about it in one of the car rides. Oh! Oh my God! Oh yeah! yeah. I do, like. I totally. Pam Greer was cool.
2: Yeah, I remember that show. And yeah, how great she Foxy was. Foxy
1: Brown was awesome. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. And
1: so many movies out out of his youth, and, and all those characters—they're all Tarantino. Mm-hmm. They're all levels of him. And mm-hmm. I think every character in every single one of his movies is him. Mm-hmm. So even the crazy ones. It's like he's tapping into that side of himself. Yeah, I mean,
2: you you watch Tarantino movie, this is all coming out of his brain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, he's got a little, he's got some stuff Mm -hmm. going on. Yeah, he's got some (laughs) issues. But but what was interesting for me about, like, all those pop culture references, it wasn't, it's not like today where it almost seems, it's just so obvious. It's so, movies today or whatever, it's like, it's almost a focal point. I mean, it's very casual in this, in his film. So I kind of like that. Like they don't spend too much time, but you know, it's characters monologuing about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And based on how he writes it, it is, it is kind of interesting. It is um, like, I always like something that challenges an actor. Like when I'm watching it, like I, regardless if you like Aaron Sorkin or not, he's an actor's writer, Mm -hmm. you know, and I love watching anyone do his dialogue, Mm -hmm. even if it's complete craziness. Yeah. Those actors sell it if they're good at what they do. So, And they got to be walking while they do it. Walk and talk, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Master of the walk and talk. Four lefts and hand over a piece of paper and <laughs> move on. Somebody's out. Somebody else is in. Yeah. Boom, oh. boom. He's fast. He's whip smart. Also, Molly's Game. He did great with that. Love, Love you. Aaron. Love you, Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> uh, Molly's Game, the only movie I saw on MoviePass before it went kablooey. It's, isn't it still around, though? Movie Pass is kind of around, yeah. But I, kind I, of... I had a, uh, I was gifted a subscription, and I literally started a job the next day. <laughs> it was, the idea was I was gonna. My friend uh, John thought, you know, you have got a lot of time on your hands. You should go see movies. I got, I've got my Movie Pass, and then I literally like got a call the day he said, uh, check your, you know, be on the lookout for something mm-hmm. in the mail, and uh, <laughs> got a job the next day, and then well, I just didn't really have time to go to the movies. Yep, and then Movie Pass almost died. Yeah, but I did get to see Molly's game. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Movie pass for your favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> for your favorite
1: dot 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 da movies. movies. Anyway, um. uh, but yeah, Tarantino is an actor's director. Also, I mean, yeah, it, it, so much is car- there's so much dialogue yeah. in Quentin's movies that you have to have actors that are of the caliber that can carry that. Mm-hmm. And and he, you know, he likes to try and use the same ones. Repeatedly, mm-hmm. um, he's he hasn't used Bu- Busemi in a while. Right.
2: What was the last thing he was in?
1: Gosh, it might have been Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Unless he showed up somewhere in Kill Bill.
2: Let's take a look. He's probably anyway. Uh, but Michael
1: Madsen uh, was in the Kill Bill movies and was in uh, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Tim Roth has shown up; had started showing up again. Mm-hmm. Was Tim Roth in Django? I can't remember if he's in Django. He's definitely in Hateful Eight and. <laughs> He was cut out of Hollywood. Oh, was he? Yeah, which was. Uh, oh, neat. But they still credit him. Oh. like, And then it, it says cut next to his name. Oh. There's oh, a right. rumor right. that there's going to be a four hour version on Netflix
2: of Reservoir Dogs? Of
1: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, okay. That's a TV so we'll show. see. It's a TV show now. Well, it's going to be cut up episodically, like I guess they did with Hateful
2: Eight. Oh, did they do that too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. I, get, I mean, I guess it's. It's, it's any any way you can get it on, get eyeballs on it. Mm-hmm. You know, people are put off by a four hour movie. Mm-hmm. But I can watch a TV show, I guess. Not I me. Mean, you know, if it's
1: cut up episodically, then you can take a break. Yeah, you know, you don't have to roll right in the next one.
2: Um, I I could see that as a, an effective way to just get people to watch your films. Yeah,
1: let's cut them into TV shows. Well, this is once upon a time in Hollywood is the most successful Tarantino uh so far and it's run it has it's had the biggest opening
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh beating out django and then worldwide i think it just
2: passed pulp fiction so it's mm. it's uh it's it's his most successful studio picture yeah ever
1: so far i think it's i think it's gonna be number one all across the board yeah obviously it's just starting its run so yeah uh it, it has a little ways to go before it catches Django. And I want to say Kill Bill 2 mm. are the the biggest uh, numbers for him.
2: Got it. It'll get there.
1: And this, Reservoir Dogs, is the lowest well, <laughs> on, it wasn't on the box really, office.
2: It <laughs> wasn't really released anywhere.
1: No. I mean, it, it was only released in like 60 theaters. Yeah. It ended up making, it made its money back. Mm-hmm. It made about two point two point eight, I think, on its on its run. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, it, you know, within three years it exploded in a home video Yeah So, and, and we, unfortunately you can't track those accurately But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it, it must have done quadruple that in, in home video sales and rentals That's probably true
2: At least Even more people, Yeah like People and it's were a, buying movies back
0: then
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Who well, did that? <laughs> and that's the thing about Tarantino's movies is that they're still fascinating Yeah, and there's still he still has a major audience that is going to keep going back, and now their kids are probably into Tarantino movies, so they're ten year old kids. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, start them young on Tarantino. Yeah,
2: just get them in. Um, what else about how this movie came out?
1: Let's talk about the soundtrack for a minute. Okay, soundtrack is amazing. Every almost every Tarantino soundtrack is really fantastic, mm-hmm. and and that's like what I was saying earlier. That's where the movie starts mm-hmm. for him. Uh, this one has stuck in the middle with you is the big song. Um, there's there's other moments where it parallels kind of what's going on on screen on screen, mm-hmm. like the song I, "The I Gotcha" by. Uh, What's the, oh, I forgot, forgot the guy's name. Hold on. I gotcha. Yeah. Hold on, I got right here. Like, I gotcha by Joe Tex. Mm -hmm. That's when they discover that Mr. Blonde has captured one of the police. Oh, okay, yeah. And he's got him in the trunk, and they uh, toss him in, they start beating him up. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, with Coconut by Harry Nilsson, that, that song is about a tummy ache, which we've just experienced Uh, an hour and a half of Mr. Orange being gut shot and bleeding to death. Having
2: a tough time. Yeah.
1: yeah, He's having a, he's having a rough time. Rough. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to sum up what's going on with Mr. Orange. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought when, when this movie came out, I fell in love with Mr. Blonde Ugh. and nice guy Eddie i thought they were nice guy Eddie's the great. coolest and that's one thing i'll say is that the opening credits watching it now mm-hmm. is comes off very cheesy
2: oh you mean when they walk out of the diner yeah the then... slow
1: motion guys in the suits walking and it's uh i think it's just been done so many times since yeah. then and some and things like that yeah because when... That it, plays just cheesy now
2: well i was gonna say was that ever cool <laughs> it was super I, cool I, when I,
1: it when yeah when this came out it was super
2: cool i can't imagine i mean it's been so long and i was i have no frame of reference so i'm like oh how is that like like you're saying it's cheesy like how could that ever have been cool mm-hmm. uh,
1: like you're looking at them and these guys are too cool they're just too cool They're way too cool yeah um but this started it, so at the time it was fine. Now, that just that opening is pretty tough.
2: <laughs> what, the conversation? Not and the just, conversation, oh, the, although the, that's
1: uh, filled with...
2: There's things.
1: There's things there. There's
2: problematic yeah. things that don't work today uh, in the film. Uh, you know, certain words and mm-hmm. attitudes and all of that. And it, it's it's kind of spread throughout the film, which is kind of unfortunate. It's not like one guy's particularly racist or sexist it's sort of like they all are just these tough guys who look at mm-hmm. minorities and women a certain way and, yeah and that and and because that is used to help define them as characters it's harder to watch those scenes um because i think you're supposed to like everybody and like them in their own yes. way you're not you're not rooting for them because they're all you know you but it's, it's harder to like them knowing like that's how they talk in casual conversation mm-hmm. but it's a product of its time and Although, you know, Quentin definitely, that's sort of a hallmark of his kind of, a lot of his dialogue. Right? Oh, yeah. All over, like for most of his movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> so well, it's hard.
1: That opening just sets the tone. Yeah. Right there. Like it welcomes you to the Quentin Tarantino universe. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, and Buscemi, um, with his, his monologue, well, not, I guess it's more of a discussion, but his, his philosophy on tipping. Yeah. I've worked in the service industry for a few years by the time I saw the movie. And I thought, oh, this movie's influenced so many young people to mm-hmm. like, you know, f the system, you know, because he's talking about how like this is what society tells me to do. So it's like, well, what, what a perfect like easy way to rebel is like go to the diner, not tip, you know? Is that mm-hmm. that's, that's
1: take just, it out on the people who don't make any money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> and I was, I at the time, I thought, oh, I bet I think Tarantino actually believes this, but there's no way the way he writes everyone else to shit on him for it mm-hmm. and cough up the dollar. I I don't think he, I'm sure he, he, he tips. I'm sure he yeah. takes care of his Oh servers. yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> regardless if he had money or not. He was, yeah. he was taking care of him, but, uh, but it is, it's a nice little way to define Mr. Pink right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause he's got this sort of well thought out philosophy that we just get a peek at. And then when he's helping Keitel figure out a bunch of stuff later, it's, it's this sort of methodical way that he processes it. And, Um, what's the safe thing to do and Mm -hmm. this is how it should work and he's great it's it's a great setup for him
0: yeah
1: mr pink is like the level-headed one
2: yeah although like i and you sort of thought it was mr white Mm -hmm. when he was first taking care of orange and then when Busemi comes in he's all frazzled it's like splash water on your face let's talk this out like he's being the fatherly figure the the level you think he's Mm level-headed but then you know, he's also an older guy who's like not putting up with psychopaths, and he gets crazy.
1: He's all, well, Mr. White is also dealing with the the code that he's mm. the, the gangster code. Yeah, you know, he's violated that without telling. Well, I guess he does tell Mr. Pink, but yeah, he you know has revealed his name. He's befriended Mr. Orange. Um, he's revealed a lot of himself, <laughs> so he's he's already kind of wrestling with that yeah. and his feelings about. Mr. Orange having been shot and bleeding to death and dying there and whether or not he should, you know, you mentioned that we like all these guys, but they're not good guys. No. Even Mr. White, who seems like the most good guy, yeah, yeah. is not a good guy. If you yeah. were a good guy, he'd have dropped Mr. Orange off at the hospital. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he doesn't. He, you know, he ha- he's in control of that situation and he chooses to drag out his death really because they're not doing anything to help him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're not bandaging him. They're not trying to stop the bleeding. I know. They just let him sit there. It's
2: kinda it's gross. Too. It's not like he's sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's yeah, <laughs> he's not ill. <laughs> he's bleeding out. Gutshot. Yeah. Uh
1: but that opening, you know, that opening is a is a great setup for the Tarantino world. And then we get into our right away we get into that nonlinear storytelling. Mm-hmm. That we jump ahead, we fast forward. We don't even, we never even see the robbery at right. any point. They didn't even film it, right, right, right. Which was, I think it was genius.
0: Yeah,
2: all these things happen. Yeah, and you don't even see uh, uh, what happens to Mister Blue.
1: You never know what happens. I mean, you assume once Joe shows up, you assume that he knows that Mister Blue is dead. Yeah, Um so you can assume that that is true. So
2: Eddie Bunker playing mr blue oh yeah eddie bunker he, he was i'm assuming he's an old-time actor he's right?
1: an old-time actor but he's really an old-time criminal
2: oh he's a real criminal yeah
1: he was oh. a thief and he had a lot of uh he was a good reference for quentin to
2: use oh, okay uh
1: and not that these guys are like real criminals they're they're it's their own world sure but um you know how an uh, a robbery would work mm-hmm was eddie bunker is really important for that got it eddie bunker told a cool story about how in the 50s he ended up in in a fight with lawrence tierney really lawrence tierney basically like kicked his ass like, <laughs> pulled his jacket over his head and just beat the crap out of him oh, oh my gosh and then when the, he never saw him again up until they were both cast in reservoir dogs oh my god and lawrence did not remember it at all but eddie bunker did uh-huh. and he just laughed it off at that point because sure. they're two old guys now but yeah two old guys
2: yeah. 40 years like later.
1: i hope lawrence doesn't remember that <laughs> at, at some point yeah
2: <laughs> they're even they have those uh scenes with orange you know we go through orange just get the he gets the most backstory kind of mm-hmm. just the flashbacks and how he sort of built his way in and and his monologue his story he tells and and then the commode story uh, the commode story which is really hilarious and really well done yeah um but then also they they go through the plan like i tell like this is where you see orange bond with white you know like they, walk, mm-hmm. they walk through the plan like they're like a little they're a duo um, mm-hmm. on, on the team and uh, so it makes sense of what you've already seen up until then mm-hmm. like why they're why they like each other yeah yeah know, so much and then um
1: and you never know you never really know where mr orange stands on it
2: uh with like being befriending him yeah kinda.
1: like would he have like if it came down to it would he have let Mister White get it. Like, had he not been shot, would he have let Mister White get away? Would he have tipped him off? Would he have, you know, what yeah. would he have actually done?
2: Yeah, you know, you never know. But I have a feeling. I have a feeling he would have just done his job. He was so excited to get in with him. Yeah. When he tells his contact about it, and uh but you know, being shot, and you know, he shot and he shot a woman instinctively. Like he, mm-hmm. the woman shot him, and he just shot back. So he's a cop who killed a woman. Well, in and in the even midst bef- of
1: his job, before that too, he watches mr white like blasts two cops like with yeah. his his double guns right yeah uh, just blast him so he and does nothing to stop it yeah and then immediately after that he kills kills a woman who has shot him yeah it's like instinctual it seems like yeah to fire back but he's a cop yep. who just killed an innocent person
2: mm-hmm. and his friends died and yeah. then he's with these criminals who killed a bunch of people mm-hmm. he's not in a good position even if he lives yeah <laughs>
1: and then obviously he's he's essentially crippled at that point and is panicking and you know bleeding out and and uh he's really he's stuck
2: yeah poor guy oh poor guy
1: (laughs) (laughs) but a great performance from tim roth who this is one of his first if not the first american film that he did oh is it yeah he did uh Rosencrantz and Stern are dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, both were European films. And uh, mm-hmm. he was desperate to get out of, you know, he was frustrated that the the British uh, film movement of the time was doing a lot of costume dramas and period things. Yeah. And he did not want, he did not have any interest in that. Interesting. And, you know, decided to come to L.A., get into Hollywood. Well, actually, he came to New York, but... Um, mm-hmm. This was a great entry into the f- into Hollywood, really, yeah, for him. What an introduction, yeah, and he's had a super successful career, sure, and you know you can directly point at Tarantino for getting that started for him
0: mm-hmm.
2: I disagree <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were really, you were a big lie to me fan, very big yeah.
2: every time I saw him on screen, I was like, lie to me. <laughs>
1: This is where it really starts for Tim Roth. <laughs> yeah.
2: Which was supposedly a good show. Or what was it? Hoodlum? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, was it uh was it Twin Peaks remake?
1: Or I don't re- even remember
2: thing. him in that. Yeah. Do you? I I wouldn't I'd have to see a screenshot to remember. I really don't remember Tim Roth
1: in it at all. Yeah. But Gary there's so Hatton. much I've been trying to forget about it. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's about five percent I really liked.
2: Yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. Eighteen-hour movie.
1: So anyway, we're the non-linear storytelling was something that was so fresh and new mm-hmm. at the time that that you know we're coming and going out of what's happening in the warehouse. We're going. We get to see. This is where you realize there are basically four main characters. Mm-hmm. You know, the others are, are a little bit secondary, but there's Mister White. We see his backstory mm-hmm. where he's you know he meets up with Joe, and Joe kind of pitches him the idea of doing this diamond robbery. Uh, Mr. Orange, who you talked about, which is probably the most extensive background, yeah, um, because we've got that commode story. Kind of comes in phases, yes. Where he's first learns about it, then him practicing it, then him telling it, and then we see the false. We see the false story happen. Yeah, Yeah, they (laughs) film it as though it actually
2: happened. Yeah, Uh, and he embodies like a character. He changes his voice and how he walks and everything. He's not he's uh transforms himself so he can be one of these guys
1: and and it it kind of parallels filmmaking because the 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 you know the important part the important things are in the details Mm -hmm. and that's what mr orange really has to know so well like he has to know how that bathroom smelt and what it you know how many people were in there was there a guy in the stall was there like all the little details as you would in making a film right you have to know everything. You have to plan out everything that's seen on screen.
2: Yeah. There's his, his, uh, his superior or whatever, who his contact, you know, Randy Casey, Brooks, Randy Brooks, from colors, Randy Brooks gives him uh yeah, a lesson in how to tell a story, how to, it's, you know, it's Quentin talking about filmmaking, which is what he likes to do, mm-hmm. uh, but it's applied to one person mm-hmm. and it's life or death for this guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he sells it. It's great. It's just funny how um like he ends up being the guy that Joe was not 100% on, but Joe like he says at the end of the movie like that's how I know I wasn't 100% and it's instinct.
1: He's also and, the one that Joe didn't have a personal connection to. Yeah. The only one. I and mean, we it's just you don't really know what the connection is with Mr. Pink, right. but Mr. Pink says in dialogue that he knew like he's known Joe since he was a kid. Right. So, you know, he's probably been a soldier and his yeah.
2: gang and, and mr blue has probably been with him like his whole career Oh, mr blues probably is <laughs> yeah
1: n- neighbor as a
2: kid and then tarantino is mr brown who knows how he came about
1: and that uh, one uh, actually doesn't really matter because he gets killed so early that yeah. it, it didn't yeah he's not a, he's not a part of the story anymore no
2: yeah blue and brown are out pretty uh, you almost really almost
1: done. don't need them
2: D-
0: yeah
1: unless there's some scenes that were cut they they really don't other than that opening dialogue there's not a lot of value in those characters right right
2: uh i think it just uh yeah fleshes it out a little bit i'm yeah. sure there was more scenes with them in the script and it was like oh we don't need this
1: <laughs> well i think they also probably when they plan when he planned out the robbery like you would have two guys do this two guys do this one's waiting in the car you know oh, yeah. you, you would have to have a certain amount of people you need that many guys yeah
2: yeah makes sense uh but they all converge in this warehouse mm-hmm. screaming at each other. Yeah. Um, testosterone flying, but it's, it, there is a lot of talking. Like there is not, and while there is like those emotional components where Mr. White kind of freaks out on Blonde because blonde is a psychopath and killed innocent people. And like Michael Madsen's, you know, reintroduction when he first walks in and he's leaning up against the pole and he's got his sunglasses on and, mm-hmm. He's got his drink and he's like, you guys cool? Like, cause like he I stopped am... for fast food. Yeah. <laughs> with
1: a cop in his trunk
2: yeah. after a robbery <laughs> yeah. on the way to the rendezvous. He's the coolest guy in the room. <laughs> and he, like, he always, like, and it's probably the way Matt's he's, always, he's just always tilting his head like he's getting his best angle mm-hmm. I'm very cool and I'm like oh
0: <laughs> I I mean I, I'm sure you ate it up as a I ate person. it
1: up then I loved I had posters Mr. Blonde posters oh, in my room yeah. shout out to my New York friends because they all saw that many a time um mm-hmm. uh, I I just thought he was awesome. I was so into I got into all these guys after mm-hmm. the movie came out and I was trying to watch like everything they were
2: in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was a big species fan.
2: Sure. Yeah. I saw that in the theater. It's a
1: fun movie. It's fun. But I thought like Michael Madsen, now he's going to be a big star.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like I thought he was like John Wayne, like that level of cool to me. Wow. Uh and then it It didn't happen, but (laughs) (laughs) but I was writing a lot, and of course, so much of what I was writing were like Tarantino-like stories, you know, a a caper and different characters and um, converging. And but in my head, I always wrote, (laughs) I always wrote characters that were Michael Madsen, Uh Chris Penn, and (laughs) Michael Bean. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Michael being unrelated to Tarantino, but right. it's like these guys like they have to be in my movie. They're the coolest guys. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Uh also, you know, and then uh watching Mr. White when he gives his boucemi or you know, gives Pink a, a cigarette and mm. he's, he's flicking his zippo lighter and failing at it. But I'm like, Oh, I know a bunch of guys in college that if they didn't know that already, they they love doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, look at how I can Look at how cool! He wasn't even trying to be cool because he 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 snaps his finger like ten times, twice. Yeah, but I'm like, oh, that was such an influence on just people. Mm-hmm. Like this is how you be cool. You don't you don't use a Zippo. I mean, I'm sure that that technique's been around, but it's you know spotlight spotlight in this film.
1: Well, they're, they're everything these guys are doing like defines '90s cool. Yeah, and then is is pushed even further with Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, because you don't. I don't know what this film is missing that the other Tino, Tarantino fam, films all have is you really don't other than briefly with Mr. Orange, you don't get to dive deep with any of these characters and really get to like them. Right. He, he does that so well with most of his other major characters in all of his other movies.
2: Mm
0: hmm.
1: You know, in pulp, you you get to you get to like John Travolta. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you spend time with that character and you know him from a few different angles. Same thing with with Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like all of them. Mm-hmm. Here, you don't. You get to see these guys in this situation with a couple of brief flashbacks, which is more of their about their camaraderie with each other
2: mm-hmm.
1: than about getting to know them individually.
2: Yeah, like who they are at all just in relation to each other is is the main focus but you know you can zip along that plot like it, it keeps it going this crime noir kind of mm-hmm. thing like you don't have time to give you know if the movie would be an extra 45 minutes longer sure if, if you gave appropriate attention like all the rest of them are yeah exactly <laughs> so you want to get to the meat of it yeah um, and it works it works well for it,
1: it's and that's and that's okay to me this is very much his first film yeah. it, it feels that way it doesn't it doesn't have the, it doesn't, nothing that it doesn't have the impact that the others had. Um, it just doesn't have the depth that the other films have. Right. Um, but you wouldn't expect that from your first film. I guess not. For a first film, this is a freaking amazing, like what he did was really incredible. Mm-hmm. It was kind of happening at the right time. I think there was an audience for this kind of movie and who wanted to see, you know, fresh fresh faces and a fresh, hear a fresh, filmmaking voice Mm -hmm. you know so much of what what, we talked about this in what batman returns and a league of their own which were other 92 films that we've talked about Mm -hmm. but 92 is a fairly um hollywood you know year like big studio movies that's kind of all you had sure you didn't have a lot of like independent films until this that were full, kind of grittier and, and felt more like real people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So it's just a different, uh, different audience out there, which was ready and then really took off two years later.
2: Look at that. Changed everything, man. Ch- yeah. Wow. So I'm assuming you really like this movie. I. Where do you rank it in your five? In Are my you, Tarantino? It, yeah, your Tarantino um, it's five. It's
1: number five. Number five. Right. now it change it's been changing every day Whoa. that's the thing with tarantino movies you'll you, i think if you talk to a lot of fans mm-hmm. there's movies that'll switch spots depending on your mood and when how recently you saw it and, yeah yeah uh my here's my here's how it goes for me
2: as of today as
1: of this recording. as of this recording mm-hmm. jackie brown number one pulp fiction i'll put number two
2: sure I, I, I watched
1: think. it a few years ago and I kind of re fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. It was, it's, it's genius. Yeah. Number three is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. It just, up. it, like, every day it's moving up a little bit. <laughs> like, to me, it's, it's encroaching on pulp. It's, it's just, I think it's, the more you see it, I think the more you're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four being Glorious Bastards. Okay. I find that movie very entertaining. Mm. I'm okay with his what if, scenario <laughs> yeah yeah i have no problems with that
2: no why not yeah it's his it's his world it's yes it's his world and we're just watching these lives yeah this way it's fun
1: and then i put dogs at number five
2: dogs yeah yeah everyone and that's dogs. all like i like all of them
1: yeah. okay that's my and then it then there's a gap mm-hmm. and then i would say kill bill one hmm um, then I would say maybe Hateful Eight, mm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: Kill Bill Two, mm-hmm. Django, and I, I haven't watched Death Proof all the way through. So right,
2: yeah, so Django's at the bottom basically. Django,
1: yeah, I'm not a Jamie Fox fan. Oh, I, I don't buy what he's selling so a lot of the time. So
2: Fox ruined it for you.
1: Yeah, and and I really? felt like I, I felt like Tarantino in his more recent films. I I enjoyed inglorious bastards but the other ones i just felt were so over the top right you know just really forced too violent yeah i mean all his violence is extreme yeah but like this one it makes sense in the world of the movie Mm -hmm. okay he's shot it's we don't really see a close-up of it it's Mm -hmm. he is bleeding Mm -hmm. but that's I was going to say it's not gory. I mean, it's gory because there is a lot of blood, Yeah. but we don't see it squirting out. Like now his violence has changed so much. Yeah, he
2: sprays the walls.
1: Spraying walls, people throwing, like puking blood and, you know, just it's it's much more gross now. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I agree. Here, this felt like realistic. Someone's gut
2: shot and they're bleeding out. Like this is what would happen. Yeah, yeah. It's the right amount of blood for what's happening yeah <laughs> uh yeah that's a cool list yeah that that's just my list what what about you uh, I mean you it, haven't seen all of them, but didn't see jackie didn't didn't see death proof mm-hmm. what's my favorite Probably inglorious bastards I guess yeah just' cause, just entertainment factor wise mm-hmm. um and, it's you know I great mean, great performances everyone in it's fantastic a lot of great tension um and just a lot of fun you mm-hmm. know. I'm not I, lo- I and it's you know it's not a movie about making movies except for the ha- like you know well I guess it is. Well, it's not well, about making movies it's about loving movies you know yeah. like he always works it in and I just, um but it all works for me like uh, using using the using a theater as like the the main way to get to your get to the baddest guy in the whole world uh it's pretty cool yeah
1: um, well and it's and and where these fit in in the Tarantino Mythology, the Tarantino universe yeah. uh, is always, is always kind of fun to try to keep up with that. Like what movies are related, who's related to who and how does a movie like Django end up like tying into Reservoir Dogs. And, right, right. and this one is, um, you know, relate. Really, it, it kind of has tentacles that reach true romance mm-hmm. and natural born killers mm-hmm. and Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I'm sure everybody listening probably knows, uh, michael madsen's character is vic vega who is the brother of travolta's vincent vega Vincent Vega, which yeah, they yeah. had talked about he had talked about making a vega brothers movie at some point mm-hmm. um i don't th- i don't think you could do it now they're too old yeah. especially that what happens to the characters right but, of course um yeah so and then there's there's tarantino's he's got two universes there's his regular universe which is you know which most of these movies take place in Mm -hmm. and then there are there's the movie universe Mm -hmm. which is movies that those characters would be watching right which would be kill bill okay and the once upon a time in hollywood is the one that sort of bridges oh kill bill and death proof
2: they're movies that are they're movies in his universe yes they're not they're not they didn't happen in this universe right got it yes
1: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood sort of bridges that.
2: Oh, really? Because if...
1: Well, the one that bridges it is Rick Dalton. Oh. Because he is a real character in the real Tarantino universe. Right. But he is an actor in shows that would be in the other universe. Oh. So like the 14 Fists of McCluskey, that is the movie version of Inglorious Bastards.
2: Right. Right well yeah yeah, they're retelling that they're
1: retelling that which so inglorious bastards happened in real life
2: that yeah that's the that's yes right and then he okay
1: you know what i mean so 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 dalton has kind of a a leg in both universes
2: right well sure yeah yeah well you know there's a version of whoever uma thurman is correct and uh, playing her ride yeah whoever that is is also in that universe that's fun
1: Mia Wallace, you mean?
2: Mia Wallace, yeah, oh, wait.
1: that's her name. Mia Wallace. Wait a minute. Oh, cause she she's an actress who has done a pilot, which was okay.
2: Kill Bill. Oh, I. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm mixing it all. up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm tracking. It. I saw Pulp Fiction once. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna make you watch all the Tarantino movies back to back.
2: Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good for another six years. Uh, you
1: you are gonna watch Jackie Brown soon though
2: I'll, I'll watch it. we borrow it in like six months
1: um so what else I'll, what else can we say so I don't know. does this movie hold up now? Well, I think parts of it do I think mostly, a lot of it does, yeah,
2: because the genre and and for what it the the touchstone of the nineties yeah
1: um, it feel it does feel very you know it does feel very nineties to me
2: mm-hmm. yeah, you don't you wouldn't see anything like this, but I think it's um Aside from so again some of the problematic dialogue that define these characters, um, you have you spend enough time with all these characters that it, everything makes sense. It's it, it flows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good storytelling for crime noir. I think, like well, you said, as a play, you know, like this thing that just is sort of surface level in a lot of ways, with just enough to keep you hooked in terms of the the emotional uh, resonance between the characters and all that.
1: Yeah, I don't think you could ever question. His storytelling, right? He's a good storyteller, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he knows uh, how to tell a story. But some of the details in there is where their problems come up.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, the, the racism is—it's no. a—it's a thing. I mean, it's—it's.
2: It's, it is a flaw. Yeah, I think it's a flaw. Like,
1: and I'm not going to excuse like I can't excuse right. what he said and why he said it and yeah. when he said it. Yeah. Um. You know, if you ask a lot of the actors who worked with him, they don't feel like he's a racist person. He's making a mm-hmm. commentary about it, but I don't know. You know, yeah. his, certain words get said a lot.
2: Well, like there's just certain comeuppance never happens in these early films of, in for him about being sexist or racist, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like if any of these characters being racist got got shot by a... Uh, uh, a black guy or a Mexican guy or something, you know, cause they're referring to wetbacks like Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, the N words flying about, you know, yeah. none of these guys, they're, they're just these terrible folks. I mean, so there's, you know, his commentary, there's no commentary mm-hmm. on what racism is and, and how, it, how it is, uh, addressed. I mean, so there's always,
1: there's always a group that the characters hate.
2: Yeah. 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 There's blanket. Yeah. This blanket sort of, philosophy yeah anti whoever
1: whether it's black people or mexicans or women and once upon a time in hollywood it's hippies like yeah yeah yeah. i hate hippies right right.
2: very very specifically yeah
1: Um, and women you know is he's it's an interesting relationship with women because he often will take one woman and hoist her up like a goddess right and then kind of be not so nice about to the rest of them,
0: mm.
1: you know, in, 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 I guess in reservoir dogs, it would be Pam Greer. Cause they're all kind of acknowledging how, mm. you know, her, yeah. how amazing she is.
2: That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which would obviously go through Jackie Brown as well. Mm. Pulp would be Uma Thurman or Mia Wallace is, is kind of like raised above everybody. And mm. she's the poster of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then each one has like one female character that is really strong, um, that I think part of him is like in love with and then, and then the rest, not so much. Right.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I, you can't, I think in any good storyteller that, you know, sort of lasts through time because culture changes and society changes, uh, you can point to those flaws, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I don't know. It's, We can acknowledge it And still like the movie
1: Yeah I mean It it, A lot of that Commentary is Is hard It's hard to hear And hard to get through And that's a part That I don't like Right Ultimately A lot Most of his movies Five of them (laughs) (laughs) uh, I enjoy a lot Yeah Um, Yeah. As a story As a whole picture I really uh, Like I said I always want to like Tarantino movies And it was frustrating To be disappointed Time and again And And really bastards was the only one that i liked
2: like 12 years ago yeah from like well between
1: like jackie brown and and this yeah that was kind of it
2: oh wow well yeah well wait but what about pulp
1: well pulp was before jackie brown
2: oh okay got it yeah so between okay got it i see yeah so it's those beginning films yeah And then some later films.
1: And it's been interesting to watch him mature as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Like every film, every director, especially ones that are able to continue doing their own personal projects, Mm -hmm. or at least the films that they want to do. You know, they evolve and they change. And you look at Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg, and they've certainly changed. I don't know if they've changed for the better over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Tarantino is still much more independent than those guys. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, he calls the shots on his movies. They do too. Mm-hmm. But um, they're much more involved with studios. And I think there's a marketing campaign. And, yeah. you know, there's a, it's more of a package. Yeah. Whereas Tarantino's movies are Tarantino's movies. And they're going to... He has full creative control all the way through it. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't be shocked to hear, you know, for, for that he's very involved with the marketing. But it's his way. It's mm-hmm. not like him kind of caving to the way the studio's want to market it. Yeah,
2: I could see that. Who's on the poster? Yeah. Or like how how you do the poster, mm-hmm. kind of thing, yeah. Uh yeah, I mean he gets to be that auteur, you know, takes his time making all these movies. Supposedly he'll retire after his next film was the idea. We'll see like, in terms of being in the Tarantino verse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh okay. We'll see. I mean, you know, they've he's talked about Kill Bill 3. He's talked about a, making a Star Trek movie, which would be bananas. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I don't know. just make a space movie then. Yeah. Why Star Trek? Why do you gotta? Yeah. Put your weird. Because he on
1: loves. Him? I mean, he's a Kirk fan. He's yeah. an original Star Trek fan. That's part sure. of. That's one of those shows that you know, like right. he commented with Bounty Law, like those shows, those Sunday night shows. Right. Star right. Trek was one of those. Okay.
2: Right. right. Well, you know, if you can do it.
1: So he was not a next generation guy.
2: It's okay.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, but like it'll be interesting when he, in another, I don't know, 10, 15 years, what kind of, if he's produced, making films, what is, what is he saying? Is he, because he's going to get old. Mm-hmm. And, be, you know, we see our, the, the, these filmmakers do great things. And then as they get older, they make their movies, different things. Different things for them. <laughs> yeah. You would think Spielberg can make whatever he wants, I'm assuming. Um, but you know, people either are into it or they're not. I don't know. Uh, will he always be that way? I don't know. Yeah. Will he just sort of like not not to be ageist, but like sort of, uh, you know, your your taste your tastes change. Everything evolves. What will what kind of filmmaker would he be in his late sixties, early seventies? Yeah, Do you know I, what I mean,
1: yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he continues to evolve if he does continue making films. Yeah. I I don't see him. Not making films I could see him doing the Kubrick thing Mm -hmm. Of taking a long time between projects Mm -hmm. You know So it's got to be something he really wants to do As he gets older Will they stay as violent Will they stay You know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was not a violent film Mm -mm. It has a violent scene (laughs) Yeah And it's mega violent But 95% of the movie There's none
2: No no, there's nothing at all It's all character work I think
1: that's why it reengaged me with him so much, because he showed, hey, I can still, like, get you to sign up for these characters. I can get you, uh, you know, to, to really get be a part of their lives and like who they are. Yeah. And like watching them. Mm-hmm. Like, I could watch Rick Dalton just bumble around his house all day. <laughs> right, know?
2: yeah, yeah. They do a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff with him.
1: And part of that has always been he's cast these movies so well.
2: Mm-hmm. He's got he's got the best of the best out there. Mm-hmm. Leo, fantastic.
1: Speaking of best of the best, mhm, uh, stars Chris Penn. <laughs> that's right. Best yeah. of the best one and two.
2: Ooh, is he the starring vehicle? Is, it, is no, it, he's the star? No. <laughs> like, no. He, Chris. Penn. Strong supporting. Got it. Uh well, I mean, yeah, this is it. I mean, we're, we're touching on Tarantino for the first yeah. time on this show, for, yeah, very we're talk- first time. We're talking, we're talking great movies right now,
1: and really, uh, we've only got two other ones <laughs> that fall in the time frame of. Uh, That's
2: a good point. That's good. We don't have to cover them all. This is I exciting guess for me. We
1: could stretch and do Kill Bill one, eh. but otherwise, it's Pulp and Jackie Brown, and then. But we'll talk more Tarantino when we talk about the films he wrote and I'm was sure. involved with, like True Romance and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Natural Born Killers, and even Crimson Tide. And The Rock were scripts Ooh. that he he uh, was he a script up? doctor on. Nice. Yeah. So there's little moments in there like, that is definitely Quentin Tarantino. Oh,
2: can you? I like The Rock. I've seen... I haven't seen. have seen it in a long time. Do you have any need on...
1: I need to see The Rock again, but yeah. Crimson Tide, there's Silver Surfer references, and he's a big, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you see it in Reservoir Dogs, yeah. the Silver Surfer poster on the wall. Yeah, and... yeah. Yeah. Uh... I mean, he was a big Marvel fan. How did he not direct a Marvel movie? Oh, God. <laughs> Imagine that. He wouldn't have
2: lasted five minutes. <laughs> oh my God, no! Unfortunately,
1: could have been cool if it was his way, but I mean, sure, characters would be dying. That's he for could, sure. Well,
2: he could always write a comic. I'm sure. I'm sure if he called Marvel and said, "I I want to destroy your universe. Let's make a let's do a 12 issue maxi series." I'm sure they'd be all about hey, it. Hey,
1: Kevin Smith wrote Daredevil. So. Sure did. Yeah,
2: he certainly did.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> love it or hate it.
1: And a lot, and again, Tarantino's that one voice of indie, the indie film film movement of the '90s, who's still going strong. I mean, right. there's still other directors out there. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Smith is still out there. Not a fan. I'm barely a fan of Clerks. But fair enough. Um, you know, most of the other ones have kind of come and gone, or they're just kind of doing more quiet films. And
0: yeah,
1: uh, Rodriguez is still kind of out there, mm-hmm. doing more producing lately, but. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's Tarantino, the big uh, the big dog.
2: Yeah. Well, Rodriguez launched a television network.
1: Yeah, so he's busy.
2: He's very busy. Yeah. I and mean, that was, I don't know, how many years ago now. El
1: Rey. El Rey. But yeah. That's still going, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, you know, we'll have to cover, too. What? From Dusk Till Dawn.
2: Ooh. That'd be fun. That'll be a fun one. I like Clooney. Yeah. I like Kaitel.
1: Yeah, more Kaitel. And uh, Sex Machine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of great things in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good movie.
2: Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to do that. But so, yeah, this was fun.
1: Yeah. Reservoir right. Dogs. So uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, check it out. Yeah. Um, if you've stepped away from Tarantino, go back to the early stuff. Give him a, give him a look. And if you haven't seen one Upon a Time in Hollywood, check that out now.
2: All right. <laughs> I'm going to go to our uh, Recon Cinema after this. Probably pop in I don't know, Wild Hogs. Just to get your pure Travolta in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Need a palate cleanser, but also. Wild Hogs double feature. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So, uh, that's what I'm doing. I don't know what you're up to.
1: Uh, I'm going to do a Kill Bill Fest right now. to See if I. Uh... You can tolerate You're doing all two movies? All two of them All
2: two marathons all It's two all one, one movie really. Yeah <laughs> uh,
1: Anyway Okay So uh, guys Check out our uh, Our social media or Twitter or Instagram Reconcinimation podcast uh, And of course Our website www.reconcinimation.com Lots of good shows In the archives And mm-hmm. more to come
0: Definitely
1: Yeah Oh And there's a special occasion Coming up Very soon In just a few days Somebody's birthday. Um, no, but okay. but uh, you guys might hear from us sooner rather than later. Okay, yeah, so, big uh, announcement. Look for it. Yeah, so stay tuned, guys, and we'll see you on the next reincarnation.
2: Bye now.